Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm... (laughs) Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to... Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we examine the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. With that being said, sometimes we're going to get some stuff wrong. Things that we say are basically based off of our own research, our own opinions, and things that we find interesting. And it's just two girls sitting in a closet, drinking some wine, and chit-chatting about feminist shit. Yeah, that's right. And um, today is actually one of my all-time favorite subjects Ever. Like, I feel like I could have an entire podcast dedicated to this subject. You probably could. <laughs> I could talk about this all day long. So, we are going to be talking about black hair and the things that surround that and the history of it and the politics of it and um, what that means. Because I realize when I say that, there's usually a big question mark above yeah. white people's heads. <laughs> yes. And I'm also going to kind of take a backseat a bit. I've got some, you know, of my own notes that I've done some research and things like that, but mainly I've got some questions at the end for things that I feel like are pretty common questions for us white folk to have, and also things that I found online or things that I feel like other people probably wouldn't know Mm -hmm. as much about. Well, I'm happy to provide any answers that I can on that. Okay, so we kind of wanted to get started with maybe talking a, a little bit of background and history about... Uh, black hair in America specifically. Yeah. Oh, I went way back when I was reading. Yeah. I found a like a website where it was talking about like early African civilizations and I mean, but that's that's all part of like African American history. Right. Um that's a part of like African American hair story. Yes. You know. Cuz it does vary black hair and the culture surrounding it does vary from culture to culture so, yes. or country to country. So yeah, if we want to take it all the way back to African civilizations. So if we're talking, um, you know, 15th century, I actually listened to the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast where they interviewed um, Laurie L. Tharps, who was the author of Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America. And um, she said something that was really interesting on that podcast. So I was literally like sitting at my desk typing while she was talking to kind of, like, get her, um, get what she said down. Uh And what she said was, we tried to establish the connections from African traditions from the 15th century and beyond. Historically, in West African cultures, where most African Americans trace their history, every community had their own designated hairdresser, and that person was very highly valued, highly regarded in the community. So you didn't let just anybody touch your hair. You only let the designated hairdresser touch your hair. And usually that was the person in in a position that passed it down from mother to daughter and would teach her all the things that she needed to know about the craft of hairstyling. And it wasn't because they were just combing and washing hair. If you know anything, or I've seen pictures of traditional African societies, you know the hairstyles were very elaborate and they meant a lot. A person's hairstyle said everything about them, meaning it would tell you what family you belonged to, what place in society you had. Whether you were married, not married, whether you were going to war, whether you were in mourning. So the designated hairstyler had to know all of these styles for the particular community they were catering to. So it was 
it was a really big part of cultural identity and a really big part of cultural bonding and society and the bonding of societies yeah that's amazing i i liked this quote by her that i found that said many believed that hair given its close location to the skies was the conduit for spiritual interaction with god that was something i didn't know yeah i just love i love that so much because that's something that has always stood out to me about black hair Mm -hmm. is that it's very like purposeful nothing is for the most part like an accident at least when like their hair is done you know what I right mean? like when yeah. they've gone and they've gotten their hair braided or mm-hmm. dreadlocks or like everything is very like deliberate very thank yeah. you very deliberate and very like well thought out yeah well in so many ways I feel like it has to be because yeah. if you leave your hair to its own devices it it tangles more easily it breaks off more easily I feel like so much more thought has to be put into the way it's maintained well that's interesting because that's actually my very first question <laughs> that I had so my question was just what makes your hair so hard to maintain and I you know having done some reading I'm, I'm kind of getting a bit of why but for you what's like your own personal experience with like what makes it hard to maintain what is something for you that is like difficult about your hair my hair has been a sort I I don't know if there's anything that I find more contentious about my own personal life than my hair about myself I don't know if there's anything that I've had a more difficult time trying to accept about myself than my hair and part of that is because I so envied watching people who could just let it be and like let it go and not worry about it and so to get back to your question what I find to be the most difficult part of maintaining it is um everything like what do you think is everything. so like it's it's hard to maintain because it, it dries well that was something that I read is that it's like dried out black all hair the time typically has more sebum in it but because your hair is so curly it doesn't make its way down it, right yeah it won't travel down the hair you're so you're for people who don't know, that's that's the oils that you're, you naturally produce, right? right? So in, like, white hair, it would just travel from um, root to tip, and, yeah. and that's why your hair can sometimes get, like, really greasy. Yeah. Well, for us, we, we produce the same amount of oil, but because we have, like, kinky or coily strands, it won't always, like, spiral all the way down to the tip. I read somewhere tip. that you even had that black people would even produce more sebum. It's quite possible, you know, but it just, our our hair uh, still manages to be super dry because it just doesn't make its way down to the ends. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have an easy, an -hmm. easy trek. Yeah. Yeah. And then the ends will break off, Uh (laughs) which I found my hair is also really, really fine. So I have a ton of hair and it's very curly, but it's very, very fine. Which is interesting because another thing that I, that I read as far as like, just about hair follicles is that typically with black hair it's uh you've got bigger oval shaped follicles oh where like caucasian hair will be more of like a slit or like a cross hair kind of interesting and um asian hair will be oh fuck, what was it let me see it's not telling me the shape for them, um, but it's saying that the way that it left lays, out again, yeah, it, it's leaving it's leaving the angle for it to grow straight and more of a perpendicular to so the scalp. The, so it's not standing up; it's mm-hmm. it's laying it 
flat. And then when it's talking about Caucasian hair, it's saying it grows at an oblique angle to the scalp and is slightly curved. And then with African hair, it says generally black hair is the slowest growing of all, less than 0.9 centimeters a month, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it is slightly more dense than Asian hair and grows almost parallel to the scalp, twisting around itself as it grows, which to me sounds like ingrown hair city. Oh, well, I mean... On my body, I get ingrown hairs. You don't get ingrown hairs on your head? No. Dude, I get the worst ones ever, and I don't know really? why. Really? That's interesting because... I don't because know what it is. You, but you know what? I bet you if I cut... I bet you if I shaved my head, I would get ingrown hairs. My dad does get ingrown hairs because yeah. he, he's he's bald, and yeah. he gets them on his head. And I'm guessing that that's why, you know? because well, I used to always think that they were pimples, but mm-hmm. then... Then you, you bust it open, and there's, like, little there's hair There's a little there. hair, mm-hmm. and I would be like, what is this? Ha- what is happening here? I get that on my bikini line. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I get it on my bikini line, on my armpits, mm-hmm. on my legs, yeah. everywhere. But it's just interesting. But they, they fucking hurt, dude. They're huge yeah. mounds <laughs> on the back of my head. Oh, like, my God. I had, when I was in high school, That's I will never forget me. this. On the base of my scalp, by my neck, I had these two that hurt so bad that I would cry. They Ooh. felt like bruises on the back of my head, and I was completely miserable, and that was before I was like, do I have a tumor? Like, I did not know what was going on, and I was freaking out, and then my mom, like, moved my hair and was like, you just have zits on the back of your head. I was like, well, But that's know. weird, though. That yeah. seems like something that you should have checked out anyway, you know? I mean, it's, a, they don't really show up anymore. Oh, I, like, okay. Well, good. It's all, well, I, I think I washed my hair too much oh, when I was younger, too. Oh, stripping that oil. Yeah. Which is something we can talk about. I used to wash my hair because, multiple times a day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's not good for anybody. No. But I know that that was one thing that, um, you know, I think I have kind of an interesting perspective on this because while I, I self-identify as a black woman and um, I think when people look at me, they know that about me. I'm biracial, so I was raised by a very white mom and not mm-hmm. only like a very white mom, but a white mom who was also a tomboy. So she wasn't interested in, in, in not that she wasn't, stuff. she wasn't, in, not that she wasn't interested, just that it she wasn't didn't, like her thing. And she didn't know what to do. Well, from what you told me, she was always pretty like good about showing you some stuff or am I thinking of somebody else? No, she, she did her best with me. Like yeah. she did her best with me. I remember her doing her best with me. Like always trying to like get my hair up in, in those classy side ponytails from the nineties. <laughs> so she definitely did her best and she definitely, um, I think when it came to a point where I was feeling very, very insecure with my hair, she made it a priority to take me to people who knew what they were doing. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because she, I think at some point she had to admit, like, I, I don't know. And yeah. it wasn't enough for me to just visit my grandma in the summer and have her braid it for me, you right. know? But as far as, like, washing it goes, that was always such an interesting thing because I wanted to wash my hair, like... When it, when it comes to, like, the journey of maintaining maintenance and wh- why it's so hard, a big part of that growing up, and I think what will be easier for girls now is there weren't a lot of products. Yes. So we would go to the store, and there's all of the hair care products, and then there's maybe one shelf on the bottom. It would be, like, at the end of the... Lo- it's yeah. It's still kind of like that, though. It's, like it's when still kind of like, like that. CVS mm-hmm. or something like that. But there's, there's definitely those. more variety now. Yeah. And there's definitely more things for more hair types. So my hair type, it was just like... The shelf would just say black hair, right? Yeah. And what is that? Because it's like black hair is all different kinds of hair. Well, it's just like it's just like black people come from all different kinds of of backgrounds. Like I I have a friend who's 
black and Dominican, I think, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the Dominican Republic is so close to Haiti that a lot of times they can be very, very dark-skinned. And um, Well, and Haitians are so dark-skinned because they're Afro, you know, exactly. as well. So, you know, and, like, they've kind of... She's kind of had that same, like, kind of thing where... I mean, she's got pretty... I don't know if this sounds bad, but, like, I guess standard-looking Afro-American hair? Is it, like, really coarse and tightly coiled? Yes, or? it's really tightly coiled. Oh, okay. Coiled. Yeah. So, I, that was the thing that I was actually trying to look up, because Chris's mom is from DR, mm-hmm. and she gets her hair done all the time mm-hmm. and has really tight curls, and I was like, I couldn't find anything online, though, to compare Latin and black hair. Um. Well, you know what? And not that I want to speak for her, but if she's if she's Dominican, there's uh, there's a possibility that she's got some you know African ancestry. Right. Um, the colorism in the Dominican Republic, and I don't want to piss anybody off because I don't really know anything know that much about it. But I do know that there's a lot of in most like Latin communities, um, a lot of issue with your blackness yes. and like admitting to having any yeah. blackness um, yeah. and really not embracing that and wanting to have like very very well, straight from hair. what i can see that's kind of an issue with black culture in america or i guess everywhere too like we were talking right. about you know rosa parks and mm-hmm. claudette colvin last week about this uh paper bag test yeah we'll definitely you know? have a colorism episode i think yeah. that that's really important um i mean you see it now through today where there's very problematic language surrounding hair mm-hmm. black hair um which i don't know if like people outside of the black community realize, but there's, there's, and I've heard it, it's the language that I've heard my whole life, where there's good hair and there's bad hair. Yeah. You know, and, and we've classified it like that, and we've put children yeah. in these categories of having, like, good hair or bad hair, and yeah, what are you, you going to do about it? you have clear pictures in your mind yeah. of what good hair looks like mm-hmm. and what bad hair looks yeah. like. I tell people all the time that I'm so jealous of their curly hair, because mm-hmm. my hair lays so flat, and maybe that's why I've dyed my hair so much through my life, because I'm just like, I need something, and I'm like, oh, I just wish I had, like, curly hair, and I could just, like, it's just so cute to me, like, curls. But I bet you every single time you say that to somebody with curly hair, the they're like... The first thing they say, like, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know. I know it's. I, I know it's a grass is always greener situation, but it is funny to me because that is the thing that I get all the time, and I'm like, if you had to deal with it, you wouldn't want yeah. it, and so that's that's part of what creates this this like horrible. It's been a really big issue in my life. I know that right. that sounds like such a weird thing to say when you're talking about hair. People no, don't. No, I think that people, I mean, women especially, I think are kind of raised to to put a lot of value into their hair. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a friend who cut her hair from pretty long to like a bob haircut and she called me crying was like I didn't know I was going to have this reaction yeah, yeah. it's like you don't realize how much like value you put in your hair or like very how much it protects it. you yeah. and things like that yeah and how much society dictates what does and doesn't make you feel beautiful yeah you know? exactly I thought it was interesting that when whiter Asian people have like that tight coily curly hair they call it woolly hair syndrome Oh, oh yeah. I've seen that. Oh, man. Oh, my God. That made me roll my eyes so hard. And, okay, listen, if if it's you, if it's you, I'm sorry if this offends you, but I saw a thing that, do you know, just scrolling through Facebook and, like, videos will pop up, yes. and, like, I stopped to watch it, and they're like, these parents have children with untamable hair. It's mm. called, it might have been Willie Hair Syndrome, don't know, but it was, like, 
these little white kids with, like, it's uncombable. They can't do anything with it. And I'm like, it looks like black hair. Yeah. Which is weird. It's like, okay, weird that your kids somehow managed to get this gene. Like, both yeah. of them managed to get it. But can you not refer to it as unmanageable, untamable, uncombable? And yeah. I'm like, no, it isn't. You just need to you take the time. You just don't have the education. It, it's just not like your hair, and so you don't know what yeah. to do with it. You yeah. know, and I understand that that's difficult, but by using that kind of language, I don't think, I don't think people realize that they're, it feels negative. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, and I struggled a lot with that growing up. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of offensive to anybody who has that type of hair because it's, it makes you feel like you're, not only is your hair difficult, but maybe that also means that you're difficult. Yeah, or or it's obviously not beautiful. If it's something that yeah. needs to be fixed, it needs yeah. to be tamed, you know, which is something that you see so much of throughout history is yeah. that it's not beautiful because it's not white. You know, it's not straight. Right. It doesn't look like standard, what we think of as a standard, beautiful head of hair, you know? All right, do you kind of want to go back to some of the, the history stuff? Yeah, let's do it. Where do you want to, where do you want to take us next, Keegan? Um... Okay, well let's let's go let's make our way across the pond yes. to to America where it is estimated that go ahead. Yeah. 11,640,000 Africans left the continent between the 16th and 20th centuries due to the transatlantic slave trade. I thought it was very interesting how closely um hair tied in with with the slave trade. Yeah. And how it, it was a it was a really good way. You know, of course they preyed on on our differences, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I have it written in my notes. Black hair played a large part in the justification white people used for considering black people to not really be human. Going so far as to not even call black hair hair and instead referring to it as wool. Because oh. it it had the you know it it, it has that feeling it, has that, it has that texture so they referred to it as wool and I think it probably made it easier for them to justify what they were doing because it made black people more animalistic it to them. It dehumanized yeah, them. Yeah, it completely definitely. dehumanized them. Yeah. Well, I read that you know they that was when they would start to try to kind of relax their hair a bit and mm-hmm. it was. Um, once slavery was like legally abolished, they continued to practice that because they just wanted to like blend in. Right. You want to try to assimilate in the ways that you can. Yeah. And you obviously can't change your you can't change your features at that time. Really, you know. Yeah. I mean, you could now through. I mean, extreme we were just measures. watching botched. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you you can't change your features. You can't change your skin color, but you could control the texture of your hair. And the texture of your hair was very direct linked to your treatment because they they thought of race in in a very biological way which we know that like race is mostly a social construct yes it's, it's not as as much of a biological construct as we've made it out to be yeah um, but they thought of race as a very biological construct so when people were biracial you know like me or going even further like octoroons and their hair was more loosely curled and they thought of them as being more intelligent, easier to train, easier to be put in charge of the house, which is why a lot of house slaves were, you know, very light-skinned. So if you could try and make yourself look less black in any way that you could... They would try to do that. Yeah, you would fit into society better. Mm -hmm. People would think that you were more of a human being, (laughs) you know? It's interesting. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, they're saying, and I, I think a similar practice is still used today, if I'm not mistaken. They would use a hot chemical mixture that would almost burn their scalp so they would look more European. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that just what, like, relaxing your hair Pretty is? much a relaxer, yeah. Ow. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first... I was so unhappy with my hair growing up. I hated it so much, and I started getting it braided, and I loved having my hair in braids, still love having my hair in braids. I finally got to a point where a lot of the girls in my elementary school had their hair relaxed, and I was like, I want to have my hair relaxed, and it took a ton of convincing uh, with my mom, but finally... She took me to the woman who braided my hair. Mm-hmm. They bought me a box of, like, just-for-kids hair relaxer, right? You did it yourself? Yeah, well, my, my hair lady did it. Oh, okay, it, But in her house, yeah. Right. And I was expecting it to burn, and I remember it going on and, and not feeling that burn and being like, well, this is odd. Everyone told me that it, it burns. Yeah. And then when it came out, my hair was still super curly. What? What, what did you miss? <laughs> um, I think what she said was that we bought a box that wasn't strong enough because it was oh. for kids. And I was a kid, but I yeah. think it, w- it was, like, for younger kids. Yeah. So, so their hair might have been a little bit more... Yeah, I remember being texture. so, so disappointed. Oh, no! <laughs> I, I mean, now I'm grateful because I didn't do that kind of damage to my hair. Did I le- you ever relax your hair? No, no. Well, look at that. Yeah, so... Man. But chugging right along. So... One thing that I really wanted to hit upon that I love and I find so, so interesting, especially because my family, my my black family is from Louisiana, that there were these laws in Louisiana in, like, the late 1700s, early mm-hmm. 1800s, where, you know, a lot... It, Louisiana, New Orleans was, like, a completely different world yeah. from the rest of the United States at that time. And a lot of white men had or like Spanish men or French men they would have openly kept black mistresses or Creole mistresses and the white women in Louisiana became really really jealous of (laughs) well jealous in general period right but also really really jealous of black women's hair and how exotic it was it was actually really exotic at that time like and and then it was appealing to men it was like you know so, so they did what I do and sleep in braids and hope that it gives them yeah, some please, sort of texture. Please give me waves. Yeah. No. They they just complained about it until the mayor of New Orleans uh, made a law called the Tion Law, which was a... I think I'm saying that right? Tion? Yes. Um, sounds great. Yeah, thank you. Know, <laughs> we, we learned in episode one that neither one of us speak French, so no, if it sounds good... Um, which was basically saying that women had to... Black women or Creole women had to cover their heads as a class marker. So they started having they they forced them to start wearing headscarves. Is and that turbans. kind of where that started? Yeah, I mean, kind I of. think it started in a lot of ways, but yes, I think that was a very big part of how that started because they wanted to do it. I love this so much because they wanted to do it as a as a form of like subjugation. Yeah. But black women were like. All right, and they started doing really elaborate like head wraps, and, yeah. yeah, and then putting gems and brooches, yeah. and actually making that an art form, <laughs> yeah, into itself, and making which, it just as beautiful as yeah, would which be. made it even more exotic, yeah. So you know, <laughs> black women making um, lemonade out of lemons since yep. <laughs> since the dawn of time, yeah, exactly, since forever. That's cool. I didn't know that. I know that there's a lot of history around that, and that's why another question that I have is, what is an acceptable way for a white person to wear a head wrap that isn't appropriation, if there is one? (laughs) 
Um, that's a tricky question because my answer is going to be very um, subjective. You know, yeah. it's this just, is all in your opinion yeah, that this, I'm asking for you. And I also want to clarify that, like, I've worked for like a Jewish woman and, mm-hmm. and her religion right. she has to cover her, her hair as well. So I'm not trying to exclude anyone who might be white where that's part of their religion or culture or things like that. I'm talking about right. people like me where where it's purely for an aesthetic. It would purely be or for me, like I've had it just in my own home where I don't want to be walking around with a towel on my head. I'm having a really bad hair day and just don't want to deal with mm-hmm. it. And I'll like almost when I had a pixie cut, I would do this too because I missed having long hair. I've like put it over my head and then I'll make a low bun. Uh-huh. But I will not even wear it to walk my dog outside. <laughs> it's you know what I mean? to me it's tricky. To me it's kind of like you know it when you see it. Yeah. I feel like because to me, I've seen white women with head wraps before or head scarves before, and it didn't feel like appropriation. And then there were times when it did. Because I've you seen know? some people where they'll they'll wrap just kind of like there were those um, headbands that were really in that have like the twisty knot in the front. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen things like that or yeah, people take different. a scarf and tie. Right. Or if it's a turban or something like that, which, you know, have been very in fashion at one point yes. or another. Well, and a lot of times, too, it's like from what I understand is that you really need to have a, an understanding of culture and um, background, if you're going to be... And, and mm-hmm. religion, a lot of times, too, mm-hmm. if you're going to be doing things like that. Where I feel like, for me, if I, if there's ever a question in my mind of whether or not something is okay, I just don't do it. Right. Which, I think that's a safe approach. But I do think... I don't think every single form of head wrapping or wearing a headscarf is a form of appropriation. What would you say... In the best way that you can describe it, what would be the best way that you would say that it is appropriation? I think if you're taking head wrapping styles that are traditionally African or African American and wearing those and and not claiming um, and not giving credit, this one to me is a tricky question yeah. because there are other forms of and there are reasons why. There are reasons why minorities or marginalized people get upset about other things. Like I could, I could probably more easily put into words why I would get, why I, I got upset. I had like a very visceral reaction whenever Kim Kardashian wore cornrows yes. and didn't call them cornrows. You know what I mean? Like that upset me. But as far as headscarves go, I don't know. I've not really had a really strong visceral reaction. I think it's because that tradition is shared with so many cultures that it's hard for me to say that that I could give a good answer, you know? Well, speaking lightly of appropriation, and also you speaking of Kim Kardashian having worn cornrows, so this is what's interesting to me, because I... So, I was a figure skater for a very, very Mm -hmm. long time, and the way that my hair was done for... I don't even know how many years for competitions were like twisted cornrows on the top part of my mm-hmm. hair, and then I would wear a bun. Loose in the back or in a bun? I would wear it in a bun, or then when I had short hair, my mom would curl it. So I'll, I'm showing Keegan a picture so we can block this out. That's what it would be like. Okay, but those are like twists. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little different. 
Yeah, it was twists, but like, but we called them cornrows mm-hmm. because that was all all we knew. But that was like my, and then here I am with you can't see, but I have two two buns on either side of uh-huh. my head, and I've got yeah. my little twisty twist. I, mean, I think it's a little different, especially like in the in the '90s, people did those twists, right? You know, all the time. Right. I feel like. Well, and then my best friend was a gymnast, and they would do braided cornrows mm-hmm. in their hair, and then put them in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I never. It wasn't open knowledge to me at that time. It wasn't talked about to me. So I didn't even understand what cornrows were. Yeah. So I didn't... And I'm not saying that, like, oh, I didn't know. I'm just saying, like, no, I were- wish that was at least something that was talked about enough that I, that we would at least be aware of it, I guess. Like, it's amazing to me that I didn't even know it existed. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I mean. Well, I think the conversation also has shifted so much in 20 years, you know, right. or 15 years, that I'm not sure that I would have expected those conversations to have been happening back then. You right. know what I mean? Whereas well, when someone like Kim Kardashian or Kylie Jenner or, you know, Khloe Kardashian does, does it now, there's yeah. no reason why... Like for instance, Kim Kardashian just did her hair in braids. They were they she did her hair in braids that looked like Bo Derek's braids from the movie Ten in the seventies, and she called them Bo Derek braids. And it it's it really hit a chord with the black community, as does a lot of things that they do, because Bo Derek appropriated that hairstyle from black America, and mm-hmm. then you did the same hairstyle. So you appropriated yeah. it from black America. You didn't just it's, they aren't Bo Derek's braids you don't right. you know you don't. right so what is a for for Kim Kardashian listening in right now what would <laughs> she be, gives a shit she does but what would be like the proper way then for her to if she was gonna wear her hair that way what would be a good way then for her to to make it known that she was at least aware of the history of what she was wearing again this is something for me where it's like do you if she's posting a photo on Instagram, is there something that she could say in the caption? Is there, like, what is a way to make it less I think there's definitely... Or just don't do it at all. I wouldn't <laughs> do it at all, to be right, honest. Right. But, like, if if you're gonna do it, I think... I, right, okay, right now I wouldn't do it at all because I think it's such a touchy yes. subject. But I think um, maybe eventually we'll get to a place where if you were gonna do it, you could you could offer credit or you could be like, Hey, my really awesome black hairdresser did this for me. Isn't that, isn't that cool? And plug her, her name in, Right. you know what I mean? Link her Instagram page, offer credit to like the, the stylists, the artists who came up with these styles, you know? I think that's a good idea. Well, and then that leads me to one last thing as far as um, Madigan's questionable hairstyles growing up. <laughs> um, I would always get my hair fully braided on vacation in Mexico with beads oh, yeah. on the ends. Oh, and yeah. It's so cringeworthy now looking at for it's so funny. many reasons. But, like, again, this was something that I wasn't aware of. Like, I would go to Mexico and it would be a Mexican woman braiding my hair. And for me, it was like a fun spa day and Mm -hmm. uh, the colors of the beads matched the swimsuit that I wore all week and like it wasn't there was no like weight mm -hmm. to it and again this is at a time when these conversations really weren't being had Mm -hmm. my my best friend did that when she went to Jamaica yeah you know and but you know to me it is also different when you go to a country like okay for example a friend of mine is Mexican and her girlfriend is white and they went to Mexico and she bought these shoes that are, like, Mexican, traditional Mexican shoes, and brought them back and wanted to give them away. 
Like, she didn't want to wear them because she thought it was appropriation. But the difference to me is you bought those... You To me, that's cultural appreciation. Exactly. You were appreciating that culture while you were in that country... And you bought them from someone. There's a difference between buying Mexican shoes from a Mexican person in Mexico than going to Journeys and buying a knockoff. Right. Of them. Or or getting and, something that says Navajo on it yeah. at Urban Outfitters. You know yeah. what I mean? There's a big difference there. So I think getting your hair braided or my friend getting her hair braided in Jamaica by a Jamaican woman yeah. in the country, to me that feels more like appreciation. It's something new. In that culture that you haven't experienced yeah. and you want to experience I mean, it. I think that if I if I could go back in time with the knowledge that I have now, but I was a mom and I had a kid who wanted their hair braided, I hope that I would at least say, or at least explain a little bit of, like, the history behind it. I think mm-hmm. that's... I think that's a big part of it. An important thing. Yeah. Just with... Um, I mean... It helps you understand people in general, and I think that if you're going to be copying somebody's style, that that's a really, really important thing. Right. Yeah, right. It, it. I think people were more upset that Kim Kardashian called her cornrows boxer braids than they were that she had cornrows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're taking something that is... is So deep-rooted into a culture. Deeply rooted into our culture. And the other part about appropriation that... I think, because inevitably, there'll be somebody in the comments that's going to be like, well, uh, black women wear their hair straight or they dye it blonde. Why isn't that appropriation? Because you haven't gotten any... White people don't get negative effects for being blonde. Black people have had and continue to get negative reactions in the workplace, in life, for wearing hairstyles that are traditional And for you, making it cool and acceptable is is taking right. away the fact that other people have had to fight to be able to wear their hair yeah, a certain I, way. I heard it, someone said this, and I can't remember who it was, I wish I could remember, but when they were trying to describe appropriation, they were saying, you think my culture looks better on you. Yeah, which I is that's a good way of putting it. Which is really, really hurtful, right. you know? Totally. What's funny is that um, I think I talked about Dance Moms a couple episodes ago, or I don't even remember when. I know I mentioned it at some point. But I'm a really big Dance Moms fan, and there's one black girl on the show, uh-huh. and there was an episode where, like, she had just gotten her hair braided, and she had them um, in, like, these two, like, buns, and her teacher is, like, yelling at her about her hair, like, over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and the mom is, like, taking it surprisingly well. She was more so, like, I paid to have this done. This is how her hair is mm-hmm. going to look. Stop mentioning her hair. But, man, I'm surprised she didn't get even, like, more pissed. This was a few years ago. This was, like, the first season or two. So it was in, like, 11, 2011 or 12 or something like that. Um, well, unfortunately, she's probably pretty used to it, you know? She probably is. Well, racial, like, profiling, I guess, was a really big issue with her on the show, especially the first mm-hmm. few seasons where they were incredibly racist toward Nia and the dances that they gave her. And, like, she would always be, like... The snake charmer or the, uh, she would, she would always have the ethnic dances and Abby would be like, because if they're casting for Lion King, they wouldn't call one of the blonde girls. They would call Nia. She has to know these dances. It's her background. But then like, it's not, you're learning these dances from a white chick from Pittsburgh. Right. She's not taking a traditional African dance class. Exactly. Which eventually she does in in the show, which is great, but it takes a really long time. And that was that was something where I'm just like, oh, baby angel, you're yeah. so cute. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're going to talk about, like, racial profiling in schools, that was something that's 
that's happened and has, um, it continues to happen. I mean, up until yeah. I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, there was a school in South Africa that wasn't allowing their girls to wear braids or afros, black girls to wear braids or afros, which is basically saying, we're not going to embrace the way the hair grows out of your head. Yes. We want you to alter the way the hair, the hair that grows out of your head is unclean, it's unkempt. Yeah. You know, which is crazy. And those girls, little girls, actually held a strike. And, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm, and remember and that. they were able to get that, that rule. Yeah. But this is what we're talking about when we're talking about why it's such a big deal, yes. you know? I mean, it was just, I think, two years ago, maybe, that the um, the U.S. Army finally decided to allow cornrows, which is crazy. Because they want you to have, like, short hair anyways or have it out of your face. Well, that's the thing, is just, like, it, it really illustrates the ways in which those rules were written by, written for and by white people. Mm-hmm. Because if you knew anything about black people, you would know that that is the most utilitarian hair, hairstyle. Yeah. If I don't want to cut all my hair off, but I want it out of my face, I don't want to have to wash it as often, I don't want to have to deal with it at all, I'm going to put it in braids. It. Yeah. yeah, so for you to tell me that that is not acceptable, it's not an acceptable hairstyle, That's but wearing a wig like, is? Wearing yeah. a wig was okay. Huh, you know what I mean? God. It's crazy. That sounds sweaty. Yeah. Oh my God. Sounds itchy. Well, that kind of brings up to the fashion industry and something that I wrote, which we kind of already touched on, but like what draws the line between fashion and appropriation? Mm. I think that that's an interesting question. And again, I think it comes all down to credit because for instance, like a couple of years ago, I know that, or maybe not even a couple, maybe last year, Mark Jacobs was in a little bit of hot water because he had a runway show where all the models were white, but they had dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. And people were upset, and he couldn't understand why people were upset, right? Because it's appreciating your culture. But it's not, because if you really wanted to appreciate us, give us jobs. Give you jobs, Why didn't use black models. Why didn't you hire black models, then? If you wanted to use... If you wanted to, you know, it's just a weak excuse. What was your statement you were trying to make? Yeah, it's a weak excuse to say, well, I don't understand why you're in such a hissy fit. We we think it's beautiful and we want to appreciate it. Right. So to me, it's like... But just on different colored skin. Right. Like, I think baby hair, baby hairs, which weren't even baby hairs. You were just taking hair and, like, styling it on your forehead. Right. We're having a moment in in fashion for white people for a while. And we were just kind of like, but that's always been deemed like, ratchet or, you know... Well, even for me, like, uh, the acceptance of weaves I've seen being very different. I remember when I was in first grade, again, I went to a school, very, very white school for elementary school. There was, I think, maybe one black girl, one black guy in my Mm -hmm. class, and that was it. Her name was Ama. She had braids in her hair. It was little tiny braids, kind of like uh, Suzanne from Orange is the New Black, where it's the little ones that kind of stuck out super cute and had the little, like, plastic bows that Uh that we always wore. yeah. Yeah. And I just remember seeing one of her pieces of hair on the floor, Mm -hmm. like, on the stairs and freaking the fuck out because I did not know what what the fuck was was happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why is Alma's hair on the staircase? Yeah. What is happening? And, like, no, had I think I just, like, looked at it, had a momentary, like, this girl's losing her hair. Yeah. And I, like, ran up the stairs. Like, I had no understanding of that. And now that's something that, like, a lot of white women have. Like, I had a friend oh, in high extensions school for sure. who had extensions mm-hmm. and, like, things like that where I had no knowledge of it. And then 
not even 10 years later, I was sick of having short hair and I was like, mom, I want extensions in my hair. And like that whole idea of someone having like fake hair Mm -hmm. was no longer like foreign to me. Yeah. It's definitely the idea of having fake hair is definitely not taboo anymore, but I do think that the language around the language is very different around wigs and weaves than it is around extensions. Like, people, you hear the word weave, and people have a very, they have a completely different reaction than when you hear the word extensions. extensions. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I was going to say, because I feel like, I feel like just from the way I've heard it talked about in popular culture, when they're, when they're referencing to, to black hair or Otherwise, it does seem to have a very different weight to it. Yeah, it's almost it's it's almost negative. You know, like it's not it's well, no, I think it is. Like it's, it's like the negative side of it. It's right. like this is the, these extensions are like extensions are acceptable. Thing. They're acceptable, yeah. but if you have, if you have like a, a weave, weave or a wig, yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's unacceptable. Again, bringing up the Kardashians, I think that as far as wigs go, <laughs> they've kind of tried to like bring that back. Yeah, somehow Kylie has managed to appropriate. wigs wigs, which I'm just like I did I had to roll my eyes because she's just like I brought wigs back and it's like bitch black women have been wearing wigs forever like just because you got a good front lace but it's kind of like no you did not bring wigs back wigs have been like a thriving industry for like a really long time yeah yeah I mean and it's something that you know in the black community black celebrities have been doing forever it's just frustrating because it's just like this is something that black women have been doing since the 60s, really, is when wigs started really taking off for black women, if we're getting back into history. Well, I was going to say, funny yeah. to bring up the 60s during the civil rights era was when the Afro kind of emerged. Right, yeah. So you have the you have the late 50s into the early 60s. Which were when, still kind When you of... had, like, Supremes, where yes. wigs were very much in fashion. Yes. And then after that... Wigs uh, or wearing your hair natural became very much a, a political it statement. It was a political statement. Mm-hmm. Well, so last year I was in the, the play Hair, mm-hmm. and there was uh, one specific black character named HUD in it who, that's the cover of the whole show back in the 70s, is his right. big, like, afro. Yeah. Like, that's what he, like, stood for. So for me, like, when I think of hair, black hair in that time, that's definitely Mm -hmm. what I think of. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, me too. And it was definitely, it was so political because it was a radical act of self-love, right? Yes. It was saying, like, we don't want to subscribe to your form of what beautiful is because you've been telling us what beautiful is all this time and we're ready to say no to that. It was, it was a way of, of, uh, it was an act of rebellion. You're like standing up. It was a physical embodiment too. I feel like with just hair in general at that time from just men having long hair was kind of like a way of, it was kind of publicly express, expressing, like, their sexuality, um, how they're, like, rebelling from what, like, the man wants from them. You know, when everyone else was being shipped off to war, their hair was cut, all of these things. Yeah. It was a physical act of rebellion that stood for X, Y, Z for different people. So women, mm-hmm. men, children, like, were all growing their hair out and being very, very radical with it. And I think that that's really cool that that was a time that the Afro kind of, like, had its moment. moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it kind of brought in that sense of community. Well, the sense of community is something that I'd really like to touch on uh, in this episode. For me, that was one of the biggest things. I, I wrote a piece on on black hair, on natural hair, for my friend Zine. 
That's the most hipster sentence I've Zine? ever said. Are we in the 90s? A zine. Oh, zines made a bit of a comeback when hipsters what? were big. My friend's a big hipster. Shout out to Katie Smizer, who is helped it, me along my feminist journey. Is it a physical zine? Like a piece of paper folded in half with like... Yes. I think I might have it. Um, I love like, that. Yeah, she made like a bunch of zines. There was like a lot of drawings. A lot of, like they spent time at the copier copying off. That's and, like, so you know. cute. I love that. And she asked me if I would write a piece for, for natural hair, which I'll, I'll read a little bit later. But or I'll read parts of it a little bit later. But for me, the big biggest thing about it and why, even though I hated my hair so much, I could never commit myself to not having it natural was because it was such a link to your heritage. Yeah. And it was such a link to your community. That you, you couldn't bring yourself to get right. rid of that. And you see it pop up in history over and over and over about how it's this very strong um, community link. Yes. And, um, you know, because you, you spend, like, okay, for instance, when you go to get your hair cut, how long are you there, do you think? Like a half an hour. You're like a half an hour. <laughs> the longest I have ever spent to have my hair done is eight hours. I think I was there for that, at least for you part were there, of it. You were there when I, that, that time took six hours, yes, okay. when Sherilyn did it. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid, the longest, I think, was eight hours. I had small braids. I wanted, like, brandy braids. Yeah. And it took Love a long it. time. And so you really develop a bond with... Yeah with your hairdresser and with the other women who are there with you because you're literally there from open to close or if they're coming to your house they're in your house all day or you're in their house all day yeah. with their family and you know that's um, a really, that sounds like a really cool experience it's it's a cool sense of community and the reason why I brought that up is because and this ties so well in with feminism is that was where in black hair salons during like the 1960s and the 1950s, like during the civil rights movement and before the civil rights movement, it's where a lot of planning happened. Yeah. Because police didn't go in there because they yeah. were like, it's just women talking about beauty things. We yeah. don't need to go in there. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're like getting their afros picked out, planning a revolution, <laughs> you know, getting their hair braided. That's so badass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to do that. Be like, what shit can we fuck up today? I know. <laughs> The next kind of era that I read about, at least, was, like, the Rastafari kind of mm, mm-hmm. era. What do you... What's your input on all that stuff? The dreadlocks? dreadlocks the Bob Marley? Yeah. Dreadlocks are a um, point of contention mm-hmm. with white people who want dreadlocks. Um, <laughs> because no one really knows what the root of, of dreadlocks are. like. Well, y- something that I read here, which probably isn't the root of it, but, God, that's such a pun. The, the root. The root. <laughs> but an- um, I mean, it also says it's part of the roots movement. Apparently, believers in Rastafari were forbidden to cut their hair, is what I read. So they yeah. would twist it into dreadlocks so it would look shorter. So it would be more, and like, maintainable. Just, yeah, it's just easier to maintain. Um, if I put my hair into dreadlocks it would be much easier to maintain because you yeah. don't have to you don't have to comb it out you don't have to braid it up you don't have to twist it up you don't have to sleep you know yeah but i do know that there are other cultures that wore their hair in dreadlocks as any white guy on the internet is going to tell you there were vikings who used to wear their hair in dreadlocks and blah 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 so it's not really cultural appropriation because all these other cultures did it etc cetera, etc cetera. um however what I will say is, I don't know a lot of other cultures whose hair will naturally lock. Yes. And for a lot of black people, their hair will naturally lock, um, you know, form into their own locks. Um, hmm. So, is it appropriation? Is it not? 
I don't know. I, I, I think dreadlocks, personal opinion, don't like them on white people, but yeah. do what you want, you know? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that I read... There's a couple quotes that I had that say, The problem remains, however, that while we may style our hair to reflect our own individual choices, our hair is still being interpreted by a white mainstream gaze, mm-hmm. and the interpretation is often wrong as well as racist. Mm-hmm. Too many people still make the assumptions that an afro implies some sort of militancy or that wearing dreadlocks means a predilection for smoking pot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and you I- saw that with Zendaya a few yeah. years ago yeah. when she wore, she wore dreadlocks to the Academy Awards. Yeah, and people freaked out. Well, Juliana Rancic, yeah. I- I'm surprised she bounced back from that. Because she so- said... She says so much problematic yeah, shit. Yeah, I'm surprised she bounced back from that because she said... And Zendaya, by the way, looked beautiful. Beautiful! They made a doll out of that. Yes, I love yes. It. But Juliana Rancic said that she looked like she smelled like weed and patchouli, mm-hmm. which is so messed up. It's so messed <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. is, And I think that, that that really hits the nail on the head, is that no matter what... Black people are always being looked at, and our hair is being looked at and examined through a white mainstream gaze. Through a white gaze. gaze. Well, and we've and been so conditioned to think that we need to have it be that way. And it's so time-consuming and difficult and damaging yeah. to our emotional health, our mental health, and our and actual hair. physical hair. Yeah. You know? Well, and I mean, the first thing I have written at the top of my notes is, if your hair is relaxed, white people are relaxed. Which <laughs> that's I just exactly find right. so funny. I mean, that's it's true. It's true. And it's been hard for me because I also, you know, and, and it's hard for black girls in general, I feel like, because we want the freedom to wear our hair the way we want to. But you don't want to have to worry about how people are going to respond to it. Right. On either side of the spectrum. Because yeah. I also know that... There is a pressure from the black community to wear your hair natural, yes. like and what that and what that means, and that you're less of a feminist or your you know your black card might get a little bit revoked if you if you chemically straighten your hair and and that sucks because it's just like I want to be proud of my hair. I think it it represents a sense of community for me, but I also know mixed friends, black friends who really struggle with that. Does it mean I'm sacrificing my identity yeah. if I straighten my hair? I mean, and I think that that brings up a great question for all women, really, to bring up within themselves, especially the women that are going to be our audience as feminists. Mm-hmm. If I take my husband's last name, is that anti-feminist? Mm-hmm. If I shave my armpits and my legs, is that anti-feminist? Mm-hmm. There's a long, long list of things that we, as women, and I know that men have a long list of things that they need to, that they think about as well, but there's definitely a lot of those things that we think about where it's like, is my feminist card going to be revoked? Right. Because I want to take my husband's last name. Yeah. Does that make me less of what I believe in? Which I, I think, think is so sad to think about. It, it's sad that we have to think of it that way, but... And I think that this is going to come up time and again when we're having these kinds of conversations. It's basically... Do what you want, because that's what it's all about. Isn't that the basis of the whole thing? Right. It's about making your do own what choices. you want, but also rec- do what you want, but recognize that the root of why you may want to do that or why you feel the need to do that may come from society pressure and conditioning. Yeah. You know, yep. and that doesn't make it wrong. No. You know, it just means that it's it's an important thing to examine, which I think is something that. 
Right. Take a look at it and make a decision. And I think anytime we talk about physical appearance, I know for me, when it comes to body positivity, Mm -hmm. that's a really big thing. And diet culture and Mm -hmm. things like that. I have a very, very strong mindset on those things. And it's hard for me to to accept any sort of pro-diet culture. So I sometimes have to kind of like step back and kind of think about those things as well. But that's for another day and another time. (laughs) A day sometime soon, probably. What about like some contemporary culture? I know that, um, you know, Beyonce has kind of been a person who's been brought up a lot as far as contemporary culture with Mm -hmm. black hair goes Mm -hmm. and, you know, how she will relax her hair a lot. She wears wigs, yeah. She she wears like full lace wigs, real good ones. Well, kind of the same thing too Um, about what you were saying about how, you know, people will will claim that she's less of a black artist. Right. We want to, we want to pull her feminism card or her, her black card. Um, Again, I don't. I don't have any problem with with that. Uh, with wearing wigs or wearing your hair straight, I don't think it makes you any less of a of a strong black woman or a strong black feminist at all. Um, but I will say the reverberations in the black community when Formation came out and she wore hair in braids yeah. and how how that made people feel. Yeah, you know that that's that's a real good. It was sign. a very powerful. Yeah, reaction. it was it was incredibly powerful to see someone as powerful as her rock and braids. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is so traditional, and it's weird. It's weird to think that we have the, such a strong heart connection to mm-hmm. a hairstyle, but but we have we such do. a strong heart connection to um, clothing that mm-hmm. that we wear. That's part of our ancestral background. Mm-hmm. We have a strong yeah. connection to food. We have a strong connection to. Most well, and especially culture, something that you know? we've traditionally been told is is ugly. Exactly. You know, that when we see someone make it look beautiful, and, and we know it's, it's beautiful. Beyonce, too. Yeah. And her sister also does amazing things yeah. with her hair. And, you know, speaking of, like, contemporary culture and pop culture, I remember what a big deal it was to me when India Ari put out that song, I Am Not My Hair. Yeah. She had a song called I Am Not My Hair, and it was, it was so strong and powerful to me because it really I was just like okay it's not just it's not just me who feels has these strong feelings about yeah. about black hair you know mm-hmm. <laughs> oh one of my questions is what is your favorite way to do your natural hair or to do your hair I love I love keeping my hair in box braids or twists I like really long twists really long box braids really Oh, I remember when impractical? you had long, 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 heavy, heavy, heavy braids. Yeah, they're, they're impractical. And on top of your head. Yeah. And you'd be like, my neck! They are impractical. They're heavy. But I, I love it. I love the way it looks. Hair identity is such an interesting thing because, you know, how, have you ever... And I, I actually really want to know this answer. Have you ever had a hairstyle that you've done or a haircut and thought, this is me. This is what I'm supposed to look like. <laughs> I've had a few actually and it's it's because I've evolved so much Mm -hmm. and what's funny is like my hair is something that I don't really have like I have an attachment to it but I don't really have a super strong attachment Mm -hmm. to it because the way I was raised by my mom is like it's hair it's gonna grow back why are you making a big fuss about you having a bad hair day right or about a bad haircut or so Mm -hmm. I mean I've colored my hair for such a long time and I've had it super long and for me a big thing was when I got all of my hair cut Cut off off. yeah and I had a pixie cut and it just kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where it was almost a I mean it was buzzed pretty much everywhere except for the front I had it was like a Winona Ryder girl interrupted haircut and that was my favorite cut that I had Mm mm-hmm and the thing that was the first thing that people always asked me was, 
what does Chris have to say about that? Oh. What does Chris think? I'd be like, shut the fuck up. It's not his head. And what's funny is people would ask him all the time. And they would they would ask him in like a whispered, hushed voice. <laughs> like you can't hear them. And it's so fun. But it's just interesting. Well, no, like he, just because they didn't want to make it a big deal. Like, <gasps> Madigan cut her hair like a boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it, it was funny to me. And that was something for me that was like a really big form of rebellion, something that was something I wanted to cut off my bucket list, something that I really thought I would look good in, and I loved uh-huh. it. Like, I had you a did. bunch of different styles. You did look good in it. Thank you. <laughs> but when you had really short hair and you looked in the mirror, For were me, you, were that you like, was, this is me? There was a moment of, holy shit, what the fuck, what are people going to think? Uh-huh. And then there's that moment of just, like, pure I love freedom. Yeah. Yeah, but that's how I feel when I have my hair in braids, like in long braids. It feels very authentic. For me, when I look in the mirror, when I have my hair in like long braids or long twists, I feel like that's what I'm supposed to look like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that feels like me. Yeah. And that's weird because like when my hair is down and curly, I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. This is me. But it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it doesn't effect. feel like my soul. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that everybody kind of has their own like version of that yeah, yeah or absolutely just at the end of the day when i'm like in a t-shirt and underwear and going to bed like you know what i mean yeah Those this are is the me times i feel most feel, authentic yeah and i think that everybody has their own mm-hmm. their own definition of what that means yeah. which i think is is yeah. cool um this is a big one that i have always wondered because before I knew that it was, like, really not okay, I loved to go, like, boing and, like, play with the curls. Oh, yes. And I've had friends just be, like, don't fucking touch my hair. Yeah. Which I, <laughs> which, for me, in my experience, when I had a pixie cut and it would be, like, a little longer on the top or something. Did people touch your and hair? I would, well, I would spend so much time styling it that when people would run their fingers through my hair, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. No, I just made this look so good. Which is definitely part of it. I definitely had people do that to me. But is there a bigger part of... Strangers, that's weird. Yes. For me, like, I love when people touch my hair and play with my hair, and I'm like, you can do it all day. Is there just something that's, like, because maybe it's so personal that it's hard? Um, I think it is a variety of things. I think, one... It does take a lot to get it to look a certain way, and when uh-huh. people touch it, that's that's one thing. Secondly, like I said, I've had strangers touch my hair, yes, and I think that there is a weird thing about people feeling like they have some kind of entitlement to your body. Like right. I've heard, I've heard pregnant women talk about that, like the way people will just come touch and touch their stomach, and yeah. that's kind of what it feels like. It's like you're invading my space. It's a very intimate thing mm-hmm. too. Like it's I feel intimate. Like if someone touches yeah. your hair behind their ear, right. that's usually yeah. very, like romantic. Or... Well, it's very personal and like yeah. very intimate, and so yeah, that that's kind of how I feel about that. It's like it's different if it's a friend, but even then, ask you know because yes. it's like okay, so I asked that. Um, Another question I have is, what is some language surrounding black hair that I and other white people can avoid using? The most triggering language for me is the good hair, bad hair stuff, but Mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot of white people using that kind of terminology. Um, Things that I do sometimes hear that I don't think are necessarily negative words, but I think have often been used in a negative way are kinky, nappy, because they're they're not negative. You know, my hair is kinky, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it's said in <clears throat> such a tone that is that, that it implies feels, negativity. That it feels negative. Yes. So I, I hate to say, like, just avoid it altogether, but I think just be very conscious of how that can be kind of a sensitive mm-hmm. word or topic for somebody. Okay, cool. 
what are the prices like for getting your hair done? It is not a cheap, not a cheap thing. Right. Well, something that I read, it says that black hair care industry estimated to be worth uh, $774 million in this last year. Yeah. And I think it's actually even higher than that now. Probably. We may have crept into the billions. It is a massive market. It is a... I mean, the number of products I have in my bathroom that I've spent money on is crazy. How I, many of those do you use? I use on a, a regular good, basis. I use a good number of them. Okay. So, um, and different things are for different things. So, like yeah. if I'm if I'm straightening my hair, I need a whole different set of products than if I'm wearing my hair naturally, or if I am setting it in yeah. in rollers, then I need a different hair care product. Or, you know, if I'm braiding it up, then I need a different hair product. I feel like product. I could learn a lot about, like, how to do my hair from you, because, like, I'm... It's funny, because, like, I'm actually pretty decent at doing other people's hair when it comes to, like, I'm pretty good at braiding hair and uh-huh. things like that. <laughs> Nowhere near probably what you can do. I'm, I'm not but, so um, great with other people. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, you know, I'm not saying I'm, like, you know, amazing or anything, but, like, God, I cannot curl my hair to save my fucking life. I recently learned how to use a, like, when my hair is straight and I want to put curls back into it, Yeah. I recently learned how to use my straightener to curl my hair. I yeah. did not know for, like, the longest that time. That I've done quite a bit, but, like... When using curlers and like rollers, how to do oh, yeah. it without making myself look like like tumble. patterns, like curl patterns, like yes, yeah, and then having just to learning how to separate, understanding your hair. Well, you know what I mean, I don't me, have a great understanding. Let me tell you, and this will take us to kind of the next portion of this. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm sorry, did I answer your question? I I think so. Oh, okay. What was my question? Um, products. Yes, that was it. And, um, oh, price. So you're talking about oh, price. Oh, price. Oh, okay. So I'll answer this, and then I'll move on to the yes. next thing. Um, it is expensive. When I, I've learned how to do a lot of stuff for myself, when I don't, like, I've gone to a Dominican hair salon to have them do a roller set to when I'm just, like, I really want my hair to look really, like, blown out and right. for something, you know? Or I've definitely had hair ladies come and do box braids for me or do well, glaze I mean that was kind me. of another thing is that I was I was asking how hard it is to find someone that can do your hair it is hard like I was having a girl from school that you knew um do my hair and she moved back back south and you're so like, no I was like no um it can be difficult and it sounds like you kind of have different people for different things depending yeah on what, what style you want yeah and it's definitely like a word of mouth kind of situation yeah which is cool um because then you know you can trust them yeah, yeah but when with her for instance she charged me probably I think a hundred to 120 and then I tipped her that blows so, my mind. And then, but and, I'm and so I was, cheap. I, and I was also purchasing the hair myself, like when yeah. it's braiding hair to be yeah. added in. So you're you're looking at another forty dollars, you know, um, on top of that. And then if you're going real, like you, when you look at beyond, like I looked for a while into getting like a full lace, doing like lace wigs because you can keep your hair protected. It's a protective style. You don't yeah. have to you don't have to chemically do anything to your hair, and it'll look flawless all the time. And if you're looking at a real good human hair wig that looks like your hair, you're talking several hundred to into the thousands to have really, really good um, hair. So, I mean, it's expensive, which is why... Beyonce can do it. Yeah, Beyonce sure can do it. Yeah. Um, And it's why so many black women started turning to YouTube. Yeah. The 21st century and... Access to the internet has 
blown, like, has just changed the game, man. Yeah. It's totally changed the game. But has it also, with what you were talking about, made it, made you feel like you have to be more complicit with the natural hair kind of movement? Like, you have to wear your hair that way in order um, for you to be, <clears throat> be black? I don't know. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I, see, I know what you're saying. I think it changed... For me, and I think for a lot of other people, I still want to wear my hair straight. That was yeah. just something I had to come... I mean, on occasion. I almost never do. It's straight right now, but I really straighten my hair. Maybe I could count on one hand the number of times a year I straighten my hair. I was going to say, you texted me and you were like, I just spent how many hours straightening your hair? It was about two hours, yeah. yeah like, you must be, like, fucking buff after that. <laughs> be like the um, Hulk. But as far as, like, feeling pressure, I feel like... I feel like it's been a very, very good thing. For the yes. black community, because okay. because I feel like it's taken the idea of wearing your hair naturally and made it not a political statement. Like now you have you have black women wanting to wear their hair naturally because they find it beautiful. Yes, because they're able to see other people style it. They can learn how to style it themselves to make it look like that. Yeah, um, they can figure that those things out for themselves. And so, I think it's very radical. In a completely different way than wearing your hair natural yeah. was radical in the 60s. It's not, because it's not a political thing. It's just a, I want to wear my hair natural because I think because it's Because I beautiful. think it looks good. Yeah. yeah. And so YouTube, YouTube taught me how to do my own box braids. Yeah. You know, and how to, you, how to braid in hair and, uh-huh. and do that kind of thing for myself, which That's has really made cool. me feel more connected yeah. and beautiful. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's really cool. Let me see. I think I only have a couple of questions left. Uh... We kind of touched on some of this, but maybe this would kind of hone in on it more. But what is something you wish white people knew about black hair? Um, oh, man, that's a tough Just question. Like, off the top of your head, what's something like the first thing that came to your mind where you're like, oh, my God, I wish they understood how long it takes. I wish they understood how how frustrating it is to do every day or, you know. Well, yeah, those things for sure. And I wish they understood, I guess, that it's more than hair. Okay. Because I feel like the experiences, it's tied into so much more than just your hair. Because yeah. I feel like the worlds that we live in, even me as being like a, a part white person who was raised by a white mother, um, our worlds were completely different when it came to hair sure. and the way that we felt about it. And it's so deeply ingrained in us. Like, the feelings of having to overcome these feelings of shame, maybe, or hate, dislike, you know, self-loathing, you know, in order to come to this place of, like, love and acceptance. It's so much more than just hair, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That'd that'd probably be it. And then my last one that I have written down here are, uh, what are some ways that white people can start changing the conversation about about black hair? And I'm I'm talking more about, like, allyship or about... um, Kind of like what we're doing now, too, because for me, as I was writing this, these notes, and I even, I texted you last night because I was like, I'm really nervous about this. Yeah. I'm always, I'm so scared of saying the wrong thing, which is why I think that it's good that we have such a relationship that I can say mm-hmm. these things, and if I'm saying something wrong, you can be like, mm, don't say that. Because <laughs> um, I really do want to know as much as I can and always be respectful of other people. So what are some other ways that in our day-to-day life when we see something that could possibly be unjust as far as um, just black hair goes. I think if we're talking about being an ally for race in general, it's a much bigger conversation. What are some ways that we can start changing the conversation? Um, well, I think the main thing would be that 
white people don't need to lead the conversation. <laughs> um, I think it would be letting those voices, black voices, lead that conversation and what yeah. that means to them. And I think as far as just, like, active allyship would go, it would be advocating for fairness. Because so often what you see when you see, like, injustice as far as hair goes, yeah. um, as funny as that can sound, it's it's in regards to workplaces or schools and and just like any other dress code situation like in a school when you're allowing someone's hair to get in the way of their education yeah. or or making them feel less than because of of something that's natural to their body right maybe um, have maybe care about it as much as you right know, or at least and standing, stand with them standing with them yeah, yeah. it would be the most most important thing yeah okay <clears throat> cool. Yeah. That was, I think, uh, that was all my questions that I have. Yay. What What are some other things that you'd like to discuss, if anything? Well, I have this thing that I did write. Yes, read, um, read that. For, from my friend Zine in 2014. From my friend Zine. Um, and I really wanted to read it, and I'll explain why I wanted to read it after. Uh-huh. Okay. This isn't the start of it. I don't want to read the whole thing. Because right. it's very long. But Give I'll us the read, highlights. I'll, I'll read parts of it. Natural hair has become something more than a choice for many women. It has become a movement and a political statement. Keeping your hair natural is not the easiest decision. It's a constant, time-consuming battle. Black women, or partially black women, as is my case, have distinctly unique hair. Our hair has a character and a life all its own. For women in the black community, it is something that binds us together, something that brings together families. Some of the most fond memories I have as a child are visiting my grandmother over the summer. Grandma would sit on the couch in front of the TV, canisters of a dozen or so various hair products stacked high on a tray with at least three different combs and two different brushes. Each girl would take a turn sitting on the floor between her legs, and she would go about the process of parting, greasing, and yanking out the knots in our hair. Then she would begin to braid it. Sometimes in neat cornrows, sometimes the styles would be more intricate. She would pull the hair tight on our scalp, and if you began to cry or squirm, she would wrap you on the top of the head with her parting comb. (laughs) I didn't know it then, but this would become one of my favorite memories with her. Even given the pain I endured, these were bonding moments with my grandmother. This was her passing along the traditions she learned from her grandmother and her grandmother before her. Caring for our hair is an almost sacred thing. Let your hair be a source of joy. Let it bind you to a culture that is rich and strong, and let it remind you that your heritage is beautiful. You are the steward of something wild and untamed. Remember, you can always straighten your hair to mimic that of others. They may never be able to emulate what was given to you by nature. It's true. I think that's so cool. I love that memory of, of you with your grandma. I think yeah. That's, something that's really special. Yeah. And that's something that I think, when you really sit back and think of the history behind it and those stories, I think it's such a it's well, such a cool thing to be able to share with somebody. And it's such a gesture of love. And, and part of the reason I wanted to read that was because I wrote that and sent that to my friend for her zine in February of 2014. Yeah. And I didn't know that... My grandma was going to die of lung cancer in in April of that year. Wow. So those were really the best memories yeah. that I had with her were the time that she would spend braiding my hair. Yeah. So it is so much more than just just a hairstyle. It's it's a culture. It's quality <clears throat> time, it's knowledge, it's your your history. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, that's all I got. 
Well, thank you for educating me. I'm really glad that we did this and that I learned Me too. More. It was fun. I mean, just like the genetics behind everything was so interesting to me. I mean, there's a lot that we still don't know as far as genetics with hair about, you know, mixed race children and mm-hmm. what genes are um, hereditary, which, which are dominant and which are not. And Yeah, and there's um, a lot we didn't cover and this was largely a, a conversational right, but this episode. Is, but Yeah, but I think that this is something I learned a lot and I think that this is something that a lot of our listeners will will learn a lot from mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I know that, like, every week my mom calls me and she's like, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. That's wonderful. Liz. Yeah. Hi. Shout out to Liz. <laughs> Hi, Liz. And so that makes me feel really happy because it starts a conversation between us and I think it starts conversation between her and other people as well. And yeah. I think that's what's really cool about this whole thing and about you sharing your own personal experience I think is going to hopefully bring in a lot of other stories. I would love to hear other people's opinions on on what they think with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I, I mean... Other stories. And once again, I guess this is a good place to say, if you would like to reach out to us, if you have your own stories, if you want to tell me how your grandma used to hit you on top of the head with, <laughs> with her comb, um, you can email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com, or you can um, find us on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. Yep. All right. Well, Keegan, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Madigan. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Thank you. Thanks for sitting with us. And uh, we encourage you to rage on. Rage on. Bye-bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.